0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm going to take things in a little bit different direction today because I have actually a guest podcast. Sean Friedland uh, from Hanzo asked me if he could have a guest podcast post with Elizabeth O'Keefe. And I thought, sure, that's a great idea. So today on the FCPA Compliance Report, we have Elizabeth O'Keefe. Elizabeth is the Compliance Manager at Kayak and Open Table. She talks about her experiences in the field, a day in the life, the differences between the in-house and vendor-side compliance world, program effectiveness, and short and long-term trends impacting the industry. Sean interviews her and he does a great job. So I I know you'll enjoy uh, this interview and I know you'll enjoy this podcast. I look forward to Sean doing, doing more and perhaps even joining the Compliance Podcast Network. However, this special bonus edition of the FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now C-Suite Radio. Thanks for listening.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Sean Friedland. I am a Compliance Marketing Manager at Hanzo, and today I am joined by Elizabeth O'Keefe, a Compliance Manager at Kayak. Elizabeth, for our readers who may not know you already or for our listeners who may not know you already, let's set the table a bit. How long have you been working in compliance and why did you get started in the field?
2: Sure. I've been working in compliance for about 10 years now. I started my professional career uh, working in immigration law, uh, U.S. immigration law, first as a contractor for the Department of State, um, as a congressional liaison, and then um, eventually as a paralegal at a couple specialty immigration law firms in Phoenix, Arizona and Washington, D.C. In 2000, I I stepped on the corporate track and uh, after Microsoft found me, on a career website, they recruited me out to Redmond, Washington, which is just outside Seattle, um, to work for their in-house team as a business immigration paralegal. At some point, I started to get a little restless with that. I started feeling like I needed to get outside that, that pigeonhole hole um, and stretch the proverbial wings, if you will. Um, so I began looking around for opportunities to expand my horizons and to continue to build on on that skill set that I had developed working as a paralegal in house. I ended up talking uh, extensively with my manager and our director at the time about what I wanted to do and, and the opportunities that I had seen within the global, um, what is now called the, I believe is now called the global migration team at Microsoft, um, looking around for opportunities where I could do that. And eventually we decided together to create a immigration compliance program manager role where essentially I was responsible for managing and maintaining the I-9 compliance program at Microsoft, as well as some of the other compliance, um, managing some of the other compliance obligations that were placed on the company by the Department of Labor, Department of Justice, the Immigration Service, et cetera. Um, After a couple of years in in that position, I... I again was getting a little bit restless, so I started looking around the company for further opportunities for growth, and uh, found a program management job that was that had just come open with the Office of Legal Compliance at Microsoft. So I sidestepped into that role. It was a lateral move, and I was able to. I, I had the fortuitous pleasure of working with Odell Guyton and several other uh, career compliance professionals. Um, Wei Chen was also a member of that team at the time. Most of the people on that team were attorneys or program managers or paralegals like myself. Um, And since I had an aptitude for operations, um, my focus while working with the Office of Legal Compliance was on systems development and reporting within the compliance space. That allowed me to see other parts of the compliance process outside the strictly programmatic or legal function I worked across the investigations, training, policy, and programs team and really developed my skills and leveraged that exposure to all those different areas of compliance in my future. Um, In 2014, I left Microsoft and found myself coming back to the East Coast as my mother's health was failing at the time. I detoured back into immigration for a short time after I moved to New York City, but then found myself wanting to return back to that sweet spot of compliance program management and um, eventually landed back on the vendor side working for SAI Global. One of the things I specialize in is online compliance training. That was an, an interesting experience. It was it was a good experience. It taught me a lot of things. But at the end of twenty. 18 through a series of fortuitous events, um, which is really just too long of a story to tell here. I joined Kayak and OpenTable as the compliance manager for the company. Uh, OpenTable is an affiliate of Kayak. Kayak is owned by a company called Booking Holdings, and they own several other online travel companies, including Booking.com, Priceline, and um, Agoda.
1: So... I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling of restlessness or trying to do more in your role. And I think a lot of people are probably pretty familiar with Kayak and OpenTable and their services. I I certainly am. And in the spirit of transparency, Elizabeth, you and I crossed paths and worked at SCI Global at the same time, which is how we connected and happened to be recording this podcast today on the eve of Memorial Day weekend. We're also on the eve of Compliance Week, which just wrapped up. Yesterday in Washington, D.C., where I heard Hui Chen uh, put on quite the show as a keynote speaker and really um, made some waves. So pretty cool that you had to share um, some time with her at Microsoft. Uh, As you recently joined Kayak as a compliance manager, I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of your responsibilities in that role and what an average day looks like as a compliance manager and at Kayak in that field.
2: Sure. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about this position is that no no day looks like the other. I can come in and, you know, maybe my focus is on like today I'm working on a training um, on third party risk management on developing and coming up with a deployment plan for that training. You know, tomorrow I might be working on Uh, a communication or some sort of messaging that we want to push out to our employees. I also handle a great deal of the program administration, the overall program administration. Um, I work with our our chief compliance officer and just really building up the program, further amplifying that compliance message and looking for opportunities to really impact our culture, to really... Um, look for ways to give our employees those tools to make really good ethical decisions in their day-to-day work. I work in a very collaborative fashion. I enjoy partnering not only with my immediate team, but also my coworkers across the company, particularly working looking for opportunities to partner with our C-suite, to have those discussions with them about what's working, what could we do better, where do we need to focus our attention. And I also... I also spend a lot of time talking to people, interacting with our employees, um, particularly our, we have a network of ethics ambassadors across the company who are there as on the ground resources in in our different um, local offices, on the ground resources for um, employees to ask questions, to to get referrals to information, um, if they want to report a concern, that sort of thing. I spend a lot of time interacting with our ethics ambassadors to help them help our employees, uh, really looking for opportunities to leverage those resources in order to further amplify this message of compliance and ethics that we want to spread throughout the company. I I think I could safely say I'm pretty much a generalist at this point, but there are certain things about my job that I, I certainly spend more time in than others, depending on what's going on. I, I, I wouldn't say that, that this work is cyclical or seasonal in any way. It just sort of, it, it comes in waves and you just kind of ride that wave as long as it's there. And then you jump on to the next wave. It's a very, it's very satisfying work. It's very rewarding work, but it's not for the faint at heart.
1: I think a lot of compliance officers strive to have those collaborative relationships and really build connections with people within the company, whether they're in the C-suite or on the ground and, you know, establish ethical ambassadors and, you know, create those relationships. Would you say that ability that you have within, within the company today is kind of an outcome of the culture that's been established over the years to have that relationship with compliance? Or are there specific things that you or your team have done to really build that collaboration and culture of working hand-in-hand with compliance instead of just treating it as this kind of siloed function that people are afraid of?
2: I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that you can't really, as as compliance professionals, we can't really work in a vacuum. I mean, it does require a certain amount of collaboration and partnership across the company, and while there are situations where companies are forced to be reactive, compliance team that's very proactive and nurturing and um, supportive has the ability to reach back out to the business and say, you know, help us work with you, help us build in these processes so that we are not inadvertently creating log jams for you or creating problems for you, I think that is that is imperative. Um, I don't think you can get away from that. Uh, I do know that at at Kayak and Open Table, we are very fortunate in that there is this this understanding that this is something that it's not only um, a requirement or a necessity, it's something that it's a good thing to do. There's a general agreement across the board that this is something that, you know, in order to be a good corporate citizen, to be a strong player on the global marketplace, that this is something that we want to do, not just something we need to do. And I think that we we can count ourselves very fortunate for that because I have heard stories of of other companies out there that may not have that level of support from their senior leadership.
1: Well, one of the reasons I wanted to really talk to you today was because your background and experiences are are really unique in the sense that you've worked both in-house on compliance teams in a few different roles as well as on the vendor side of compliance, helping people in your position at other companies manage and design their ethics and compliance programs. So from your perspective, having been on kind of both sides of the coin, what are some of the most significant trends and challenges facing compliance teams today?
2: I think um, certainly there, there seems to be a, a cultural shift and an awareness of the role, the important role that ethics play in, uh, in any sort of corporate culture. And in, along with that is this... Um, need for corporations, uh, particularly companies that are larger, that that have a presence in other parts of the world. There's a need for companies like ours to be very responsive to what's happening on the outside. Um, Certainly an example that I can point to there would be the Me Too movement. There's been a lot of attention paid to harassment training and and messaging around harassment, sexual harassment, um, as well as really building this um, shared understanding that uh, if somebody has something to report, they will not be retaliated against. That they should feel safe safe to report and secure in the knowledge that their concern or their observations will be treated fairly. Um, along with that is uh, this notion of being a good bystander. So if you see something, say something, even if you even if you were not directly involved. I think that there is more of an awareness around that and more of a sense of shared responsibility that people do need to, to speak up more. And I think a lot of that is coming from these sort of external influences, you know, things that are happening out there in the world, in our country and other country, in other countries as well, people are just more aware, and and they're shifting their thinking as a result of it. Which, while it's a good thing, it can also lead to some challenges. You know, how do you how do you best react to those those situations, and how do you best leverage that that understanding or that perception? Awareness that your employees are coming to. How do you leverage that in order to strengthen your program? And it leads to some really interesting discussions, not just amongst our team, but certainly amongst our larger our larger group of companies. Um, I just came back from a summit of our legal and compliance teams uh, this week, and there was a lot of discussion around, you know, effective communications, um, strong, you know, building stronger training programs, and really thinking outside the box about how to reach people particularly in this in this shifting sort of uh, cultural mindset. So I definitely think that that's something that people need to keep top of mind and not just go through a checklist of um, requirements that are imposed upon us by the U.S. government and other governments and other regulatory mandates. You can't just have check-the-box compliance. You really have to be having very active and proactive discussions with people around your company, people in your industry, to figure out the best ways to leverage and to further influence um, people's perception and behavior when it comes to compliance and ethics.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting the, the way that communication is changing compliance programs. Obviously, you know, social media and mobile technology, things like that. The way we behave in general now and communicate with each other is certainly creating a ripple effect that is being felt in organizations and compliance programs, from my perspective. I, I don't know if you can uh, agree or disagree with that, but I know from a, a reporting perspective and a, and a speaking up perspective, uh, there's certainly been a lot of industry research recently to suggest that reporting volume is, you know, reaching all time highs and growing year over year and people are becoming more comfortable speaking up and mm-hmm. I think especially around harassment and you know me too related misconduct there's been research to suggest that people are not letting that fly or, or staying quiet about that as much as they have in the past um, yep. which is certainly encouraging obviously not retaliating against that is essential but it seems like we're moving in the right direction and that people are, are growing more comfortable saying something when they see something.
2: Exactly, and I think it also ups the ante a little bit. You know how how are we going to scale our response to that that increase in in awareness and that that increase in the overall uh, comfort level of people of people reporting potentially uh, bad behavior, and it's it that does put a little bit more pressure on um, compliance teams to figure out how do you best address those concerns. I think being very mindful as the workforce gets younger and younger. And I'm not just talking about millennial workers because those workers are, you know, they're pushing 40 now, but you now have this influx of Generation Z that are starting to come into the workplace and their perception in the way that they learn and the way that they react to, react to the world is very different even from, from millennials and certainly different from older workers such as myself, you know, Generation X where we so we did not grow up in a time that was all digital, where we couldn't really curate our own um, existence or how people perceive us, we couldn't really write our own narrative. So, and and we certainly we the way that we learn, the way that we are that the way that we've been trained is certainly different than the approach that we need to take. I think with with younger workers coming into the workplace right now, you know, you need to be again think think outside the box more. Need to look at things like gamification and you know, maybe even going so far as as looking at ways you can leverage uh, new technologies such as AI and virtual reality for training and, and learning opportunities. So it is a it is a very interesting time right now to be in compliance because as I said, it's not enough just to check the box. You really have to think about and look for ways to to go deeper, right? So you you know that there's this. There seems to be this this general perception and understanding that ethics and compliance is very important, and, and people need to speak up. But how do you really? How do you go a layer deeper to, and really influence the way that people um, make decisions in their day to day work? I think that that's something, and to keep that top of mind because I think that that's something. Well, it's one thing to say, yes, I, I know this is important, and I need to do something about it. How do you further um, thread that through the fabric of your company and, and really make it part of an ongoing dialogue? I think that's something that I think a lot about, and it's something that I, I'm constantly looking for opportunities to do.
1: I think that's a great theme to carry compliance forward. Dig deeper, right? I think there's mm-hmm. really a lot to that, and that could be almost a mantra for the future because there is so much, You know, as much as compliance has made progress, there's so much untapped opportunity and potential within the field, within the data that's been collected, within the way we approach solving certain problems. And before we got on on the call, we were talking a little bit about how much some of our neighborhoods had changed when we when we had re- recently revisited them and how those changes seem to happen kind of overnight. But in reality, they take a lot of time. And it's really yeah. easy to look at a, a piece of data or a report or a trend and be like, wow, things have really changed since last year and they're making progress in the right direction. But in reality, those changes take time and they take a lot of work that maybe goes unnoticed before something positive finally kind of emerges to the surface. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, and, you know, you've had this decade of experience, you've had these different perspectives and, you know, roles that you've filled within the compliance world. And I think that, you know, we've talked about the role of technology, how generational shifts in the workplace are kind of affecting the responsibilities and strategies of compliance teams. But if you had to pinpoint maybe one, one of the biggest changes in compliance that's occurred since you started working in the field, you know, over a decade ago, what would that be from your perspective?
2: I, I really feel that um, it's how we, how we communicate with people and, and more importantly, how we need to communicate with people. I think that, you know, it's one thing for us to, to sit in for a compliance team to sit Together and, and sort of contemplate, you know, what what things do we need to push out? What kind of messages do we need to to share with our employees? But the reality is people pretty much lose attention at they get distracted after about 10 seconds of reading an email. You don't want to just you don't want to just rely on those traditional methods um, within the corporate space for communicating with people because it just doesn't work these days. There's too many distractions. There's too many things that are, that are pulling people's attention. So how do you get in front of them? Um, so you do need to be very thoughtful about how you're communicating out to your workforce. But more importantly, you have to be mindful of the fact that that communication has to be a two-way street. What are your employees telling you? And it's not just about, it's not, not just about hearing them. It's really about listening to them and really comprehending what it is they're telling you. I oftentimes will um, will you know say we have an office lunch or some other event. I'll oftentimes intentionally engage people in conversations about you know how are they perceiving their our compliance program. Hey, how did you like that training we just rolled out? Or what did you think of that um, info screen? We have info screens around the company that are sort of these electronic billboards, if you will, that, that flash up different messages throughout.
1: The oh, day. I love that. Like the elevators sometimes. and
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are these big really flat screen TVs that are in most of our offices and we utilize those quite a bit for our compliance messaging. So I'll point to it and say, Hey, what do you think of that? What, what works for you there? And surprisingly, you know, even though they're in a situation that isn't quite, isn't quite work, isn't, I mean, it's a more social situation. They're very open and they're very candid with their feedback. You know, I've had people tell me, well, I just really didn't like that training, or I didn't really get that email. I thought there were too many words. I, I was a little confused. And, and, you know, just really having those discussions with people, listening to what they're telling you, hearing about their concerns. Why don't they want to report things to the helpline? Well, I'm a little nervous, you know, I don't, I don't know about this retaliation policy. And just really reassuring them, you know, and, and, and taking the opportunity to talk to them one-on-one. I think that's really important. And I honestly, I think that that piece, um, you know, thinking back on my experience working in a much larger company, I think that's the piece that's often missing. I think that people just don't stop and listen to what's the, the words and the communication that's coming back to them. And that's just as important as what you're pushing out, particularly now with um, all these distractions and, you know, in, in, in a culture where a tweet can set off a firestorm, how, how do you really take advantage of those different platforms and, and different opportunities to reach your audience? I think that that's, that is really key. Uh, and that's probably been the biggest shift over time. The regulatory requirements, mandatory things that we have to do, those are always going to be there. It's really, how are we going to execute on those in such a way that we can really start to have an impact on people?
1: I love that. I, I think that you know, from a compliance perspective, a lot of people want to improve their program and measure and benchmark, but they go about that in a company-wide survey or end-of-course training survey. There's a lot of technical big data approaches to trying to collect that information, and that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to do that and collect that data. But I love how you almost take this approach of let's humanize compliance a little bit, right? Even if it's mm-hmm. not huge data set it's important to have those conversations to put a face behind the name to hear from people directly in a a less formal setting they might be more honest with you really i mean even when i'm filling out a survey you have this kind of natural reaction to respond the way that they think they want you to respond as opposed to um just naturally having a conversation and saying something that might really truly reflect how you feel about it. So while that might not be a huge source of data that you could, you know, put in a spreadsheet and use to make your next decision, I think in a way it's equally as valuable to have those, you know, direct human interactions and really hear feedback from the field in in an unexpected way.
2: Yeah, it's very important not to underestimate the weight of sort of the anecdotal data that you can collect. Um, you know, the, the numbers, the surveys, the, the feedback we, we get, those are, that's all pretty cut and dry. And, and yeah, that they definitely are useful. They are definitely necessary. Those are the things that, that we can point to and say, this is the data, the hard data that we've collected. But then hearing the concerns face-to-face, and he, I am a, a huge proponent of humanizing compliance. I am, I believe in storytelling, I believe, in putting a person's face up there. So let me give you an example. So the current campaign that we're running right now, one of the things that I wanted to be very mindful of is that we we were put it, pushing something out that was engaging and thoughtful, but also really grabbed people's attention. And we thought about different things. You know, Maybe, maybe we create avatars of our C-suite. Maybe we use those. Maybe we um, put people's pictures up there. Well, at kayak and open table, there's been this tradition of using um, black and white photos of people, um, which are the same photos that we use in our directory. Um, and I said, you know, that's fine. We can use pictures, but let's use color pictures because it's different. It's it's it's, it's a picture of a person, somebody that they recognize, a senior leader. Um, it's in color. the The format is is br- brighter than most of our messaging. It's not the typical um, color scheme. And it just has a quick blurb on the side, you know, with a message that packs a powerful punch. In this case, it's about bystander accountability. And I, I really feel that the end result uh, of that campaign was an image that was very, it was eye-catching. It was different. And it was, I feel is very powerful, that messaging.
1: That's really an interesting approach. I think a lot of compliance teams today, from what I've read and from what I've understood, is that they're trying to brand their programs to Mm -hmm. align with their corporate branding so that it seems more formal and official. Um, And that's important because it kind of connects the dots between everything else you see in your company. But Mm -hmm. I love how you almost broke brand a little bit to make it stand out um, Mm -hmm. from how everything else looks as a way to catch people's attention. Uh, we did really we did strategy
2: yeah, and it but it still complements the the corporate branding it It is still within guidelines, but it is um not like every other every other message that we put out there, and that's I think the important thing. It's different enough so that it forces people to stop and you know they'll see it on an info screen out of the corner of their eye and be like, "Oh wait, that's different." And then they'll stop and actually look at it and read the message and then they'll go about their day. But at least we've grabbed their attention. We've hopefully given them something to think about.
1: So, Elizabeth, unlike many members of the compliance community, you didn't go to law school and get a legal degree before moving into this field. And, you know, I think a lot of the compliance industry today or historically has been lawyers or general counsel that found themselves moving into compliance within a corporation because of a need to build up that program. But compliance is certainly a, a young and burgeoning industry. And you know, for people that are looking for rewarding, challenging jobs that they can make a difference, it certainly fits those criteria. Um, mm-hmm. So what advice or suggestions would you give to professionals who may want to pursue or pivot to a career in compliance, but don't have that traditional legal background that comes with the job? Are there any specific skills that you think are universally needed for a career in compliance?
2: Sure. Um, first and foremost, I think, Patience and tenacity are two of those, as well as very strong diplomatic skills. Those are sort of soft skills, but project management is a big component of it. Uh, Certainly um, negotiation, um, the ability to communicate clearly and effectively, being able to bring new ideas to the table. Knowing how to interact with people across disciplines, across um, levels of seniority, that's very important. Being able to navigate amongst, um, you know, sort of your entry level, maybe your intern population, your, your, your new college higher population, but also feeling comfortable around senior leadership, that's, that's definitely imperative. I think individuals who, non-attorney professionals who maybe work in the legal profession, either as a paralegal or in the operations space, people working in HR are well-suited for this role. Um, If you are interested in training, certainly you can come up through the learning and development path. Um, That's that's something I've even seen um, teachers and librarians who have successfully Navigated into compliance roles, um, particularly when their focus is on training. I really don't think that a law degree is necessary. I just think that you have to be someone who has very strong, um, that you're organized, you're analytical, and you do have the ability to, as I said, navigate it amongst the, the various levels of seniority uh, within, your, within your organization um also somebody who is uh sensitive to sort of cultural differences i think is very important um particularly when you're working in a multinational company because because there are differences in perception and approach certainly uh legal differences um amongst you know around the world and you have to be able to navigate through those successfully and not being shy and being able to speak up and and to, to make your opinion known and not let the fact that you don't have a law degree hold you back.
1: I think a lot of people listening probably, uh, you know, may not work in compliance, but possess a lot of those skills and traits. Yeah. And I think that it's very interesting to think about embarking upon a new challenge or journey in your career that may be different from what you're used to, but how a lot of those skills that you've built up can really translate very well to another career or another yeah. job or, or function within a, within a company. Um, and I, I certainly know a few people that kind of match what you've described, but don't work in compliance today. So it's really interesting out of context what, what a good compliance officer could look like.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just having the ability to see things from, from, the, from the top level, as well as get down in the weeds and do what you need to do and not be afraid to get your hands dirty. I think that's key as well.
1: Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Uh, I think this was really educational, and will probably help a lot of people, uh, you know, expand what they think of when they think of compliance and how they address common challenges in the field. I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. And I really enjoyed uh, spending half an hour chatting.
2: Thank you, Sean. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciated. Um, having the uh, having the chance to kind of speak what's on my mind and, and talk about these issues because this is this is an area that I am very passionate about. Um, certainly, people are welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn, and of course, um, they can certainly. Um, visit kayak.com for all their travel needs as well as open table for their dinner reservations
1: <laughs> I have made a dinner reservation on open table tonight so <laughs> there, mission accomplished
2: yeah. <laughs> it 's funny because i um, i 've been a long time customer of kayak, um, more recent customer of open table, and I had no idea exactly how things worked at kayak. you know really it, for me, it was a website that I went to whenever I needed to take a trip but I got to say it 's been really fascinating since I started working for for the, for the company and and seeing kind of the inner workings of both kayak and open table it 's a really great company They, they uh, put a lot of focus on their their culture and you know, how they sort of work um, with respect to ethics and compliance and it 's definitely an environment I really really appreciate
1: well, your passion for the company and the compliance field is certainly infectious. And I, again, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this special guest podcast, courtesy of Sean Friedland and uh, the good folks over at Hanzo they did with Elizabeth O'Keefe. If you have any questions, you can email Sean at sean.friedland at hanzo.co. I hope you will join me again next week where we have another episode, a regular episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening.